You're listening to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast with me, your host, Kino McGregor. I created this series to keep you inspired to get on the mat every day so that you can practice yoga and change your world, starting from the inside out, one breath at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Your support means everything to me. So, first of all, we have to understand, this is a great gift what we have here, right? This is a gift. This is so wonderful. We have this tool, this gift, because we think of the time of humanity that didn't have this teaching. What were we doing? Running here, running there, running here, running there, chasing pain, pleasure, running from pain, running towards pleasure, caught in more and more suffering. Now. We are so grateful because those who have come before us have found the way, some way, some path, which has been verified by thousands of years of other people, just like us, applying the tools, getting some benefit, getting enough benefit, empirically tested within the own life to be so enthusiastic, to be so enthusiastic about that benefit to then make other people do it also, you know? You have to really like something to go and try to evangelize about it, you know? Oh, you have to try this, you have to try this. What do you do that? Only things which are really beneficial, or also sometimes things which are very bad. We also, we tend to go to the extremes, you know? You ever, like, uh, something is very unpleasant, and then sometimes, look, this is so unpleasant, and you start sharing that with other people. Don't do that, right? We tend to like to share misery. But the teaching of meditation is to share the opposite of misery, and it has to be so powerful, so impactful, that generations of teachers have committed themselves to sharing it with so much enthusiasm, right? Excuse me. What can survive thousands of years? Nothing, really, you know, thousands of years. Thousands of years destroys even the most, you know, mighty and lofty civilizations, puts it underwater, the earth changes, an earthquake comes, and structures which were once so solid, seeming to be eternal, crumble into ashes. Our bodies, which we inhabit, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We come from nothing. We enter into nothing. And yet somehow there's still something. And what survives? Thousands of years. Thousands of years. Well, the teaching passed on from here to there, from here to there. Why? Because it must be so effective. It must be so beneficial that not only me, but thousands of people who come before me, and hopefully thousands more who come after me, will continue the work. And also, we must make reference when we practice meditation that this, comes, this technique especially comes from one individual, right? We are, we are practicing and teaching a Buddhist meditation, so this is the teaching of the Buddha. So, because of his great work, we have those tools today. He also existed within a historical context. It's not like the Buddha came from Mars onto the planet and brought the teaching from Mars. Oh, no, no. The Buddha existed within an atmosphere of spiritual practice within India. So even we owe the teaching of the Buddha a big thank you to the spiritual traditions of India. Because without yoga, without the teaching of the Vedas, without the teaching and the atmosphere which was around in the time of the Buddha's life, we do not have his teaching. Mm -hmm. He has tried every technique available within India. Every technique. He has done the ascetic path, he has done the arguing with Vedic scholars, he has tried the yogic techniques and tried one technique after another, but maybe you could say he was a bad student, you know? He was unsatisfied, this technique is not for me. I tried this, doesn't work. Also don't like your teaching, also don't like your teaching, also don't like your teaching. This teaching, not good. This teaching, also not good. This teaching, bad. This teacher, also not good. He didn't say that, but he essentially said, look, I'm still suffering. 
I'm still suffering. Why sometimes the people who reject all the teachings have to go on their own path. And sometimes they need to carve out some way that is very special and unique for them. And sometimes it is of great benefit to others. And in the teaching of the Buddha, the Buddha came as a revolutionary. He has come to, in, in this historical context, to challenge the status quo of, of his era and present a very important teaching. And all yoga practitioners, even if you decide, look, this meditation is wonderful, but I really, I need to do asana for many years. I'm really, I'm on the yoga path. The asana is better for me. I'm going to try to put my legs behind my head for the next uh, 20 years or so. And then when I'm ready to retire and my legs no longer go behind my head and I have to take some weird surgeries just to walk, I'll take meditation. You know, there are some people like that. Totally fine if you're like that. I still recommend you sit five minutes a day. Maybe you don't need to torture yourself for one hour. Um, so why is this important? Culturally and historically, when we look at the teaching of the Buddha, historically, there was a very important sort of change that the Buddha made in the atmosphere of spiritual practice during his time. Look, he was born into a family of privilege. The Buddha was Gautama, the prince, before, right? So we have this prince born. I mean, you can't get better than a prince in olden days. You know what I mean? Like, you're really, not even princess. Prince is definitely better 2,000 years ago. Princess... She's going to get married and sent to some, you know, like peace package and, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, political marriage. But the prince, you can't get better than the prince. Firstborn prince, secondborn prince. You have to think, I don't know, my brother, maybe, maybe he trips and falls. Nobody notices, you know. But uh, this is, you know, like real life Game of Thrones 2,000 years ago. We've made some updates minimally. Um, so now the Buddha born as a prince. Now it said that the family... Uh, because of the auspicious nature of his birth, got some horoscope, right? So, I'm still reading horoscopes today, you know. So, 2,000 years ago, some big prediction in the life of the Buddha. This man will become a true spiritual leader and abandon all of the worldly riches and live in full renunciation. His parents, no, 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 this is my firstborn son. I have to protect him? Absolutely not. So, what can we do? So, the Buddha has been kept in this perfect little bubble of privilege for the whole first portion of his life where there's no suffering. It's presented in this perfect world. There's no suffering, no suffering. Everything is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. You want lychees, here's a thousand lychees. You want, you know, uh, mangoes, here's a thousand mangoes, you know. You want this to happen, th that to happen, and it's there. However, somehow the Buddha, as the young boy, as Gautama the prince, has looked out and escaped from the bubble and looked out and said, oh no, this world I'm living in, this bubble of peace and prosperity, it's only for me. Look, this man is suffering. Look, this thing called old age is happening. Look, there's all this suffering out there. How am I going to avoid this? If this man is getting sick, one day I will also get sick. How can I avoid this in this bubble I'm in? No, here's a lady crying. Why is she crying? Oh, her child has passed away. Oh, look, this puppy has broken its leg. Such a poor suffering being. What can we do for this? So he went back and said, look, this bubble doesn't exist. I'm leaving, ran away. And in this way, he started the path. How can I find out the end of suffering? That was his mission. And he tried this technique and that technique and this technique and that technique, this technique and that technique, and nothing works. He said, look, I'm still suffering. I don't know. I have to find the way out. So the story of the Buddha's liberation is like this. After trying all the techniques available at the time, 
the Buddha said, I take what now is called aditan, strong determination. So now you have said maybe one hour. Okay, we did maybe something like 45, 50 minutes, if I'm looking at the clock correctly, which I can't promise because, like I said, it's in the shadow over there. And then we've done something like somewhere between five to 10 minutes of metta, which is a loving kindness. Okay, you have suffered. Yes? 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 Paige definitely. Paige especially is suffering, right? Which is interesting as many of you think, oh, Paige, she's doing third series. She is doing this, jumping here, jumping there, feet are going here, feet are going there. We take one hour sitting. Paige only has expressed severe suffering, right? Others of you maybe are quietly suffering. Yes, I have also suffered. I don't say anything, right? <laughs> so we don't know, right? But it's interesting. So definitely there's been suffering. Okay, even my feet have fallen asleep, right? My feet were sleeping at some moment. Oh, feet were sleeping. I have personally had most strong reaction to sounds in the environment. You know, I'm the teacher here. I'm some responsibility for this place. Oh, sound is coming. Where is that sound coming from? Phone is ringing. Why is phone ringing? Who is calling? They shall not call. Bad people. Who is this? Why have we not turned the phone off? So even I'm having these thoughts here and there. So we have suffered for one hour. What small sufferings you have made? Some burning sensations in the body, some itch you decided not to scratch, you know, some emotional storm. How many, anybody have emotional storms, emotional storms, emotions, strong emotions? Good. Wonderful. Thought storms, right? Thought storms here, there, planning the future of yourself and everyone you know, you know, <laughs> ruminating on the past of yourself and everyone you know, right? So, so we have these storms. So the Buddha, now the Buddha, uh, we have sat for one hour, right? Maybe we moved, we did not move. The Buddha, it said in his moment of aditan of strong determination, said, I've tried everything available to me. Nothing works. I haven't found the way out. Now I sit under this tree, and I do not change my posture until I figure it out. And then they said he sat there for three days. Can you imagine? Three days, you don't change your posture, you know, bathroom break, no pee break, you know, no water break. No, <clears throat> let me just take a little moment from this suffering, go walk around the block. Oh, no. You know, story is story. Who knows? You know, <clears throat> but the story is that he sat there for three days and was tested you know, mentally, emotionally. So whatever storms you have faced within this small hour, imagine for three days multiply by, you know, 72, because we have 72 hours in the three days. So imagine whatever is multiplied by 72. That's lots of suffering. Now, whatever pain you have felt, multiply by 72. I actually think even more than 72, because there's something about pain physically that seems to grow exponentially. Do you know what I mean? Like at first the foot is sleeping, but then it's like dead forever. <laughs> you know, and then it's like expanding, expanding, expanding. If a little muscle is giving you some pain, it's a little pain. And then suddenly it's like the muscle is bleeding out on its own, you know, and now it's going to need surgery after this. It's like, you know, it's <laughs> so, you know, so now imagine the three days. So the three days, the three days goes by. And what is said is during that three days, first thing that is important to realize is that there were three, you know, there were tests that were, these tests that are, are, are arose, the test of anger, the test of hatred, the test of anxiety, the test of suffering, all of these different experiences. And it's said that one of the, the pivotal moments in the realization of the teaching of the Buddha, and you can believe in this or not, but it is interesting to think of, that it is said that in the moment before the Buddha attained the final realization, there was a vision that was granted to him. And this vision was of countless births countless births. So this means that, again, you can think of the cycle of reincarnation, or if you don't like to think of that, it's not your religion, you don't believe in that. Okay, countless births, there are 
within the planet Earth. So maybe you can think of whether it was the Buddha's countless births or even just observing countless cycles of generations of humanity. So maybe that fits better within your worldview. Think of it like that. Oh, but the Buddha said, countless incarnations I've taken. So within his world, you could see countless incarnations I've taken. Look, I was in this life. Look, I tried to live a good life there, but suffering. I made many mistakes. I had many harms. I harmed this person. I harmed that person. I harmed myself. I did this. I did that. It's only mistakes. Then I took birth again. I tried to fix those mistakes. Look, I only made it worse. Look, then I took another birth. I tried to make those mistakes better. Oh, only made it worse. Again, I'm taking birth. Again, I'm taking birth over and over and over again. And only suffering. Countless births. So many births, I can't count them. You can't count how many human beings have been on this planet. Try to count that. We can't even count how many beings are on this planet itself. You know, we try to make a census. It becomes a drama. You know, literally, in the United States, we can't make a census without a drama. So we try to count the people. We can't count them. Try to count the beings. How many countless beings have been on this planet? You can't count them. This is why we say countless. So it's not even trillions. It's like thousands and millions of trillions, countless beings and countless lives. And what the Buddha saw is, I've only made suffering, 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 suffering. So this is the first of the noble truths that life contains suffering. Life is suffering. There is suffering. We cannot escape it. So how do we make peace with it? So it's not a depressing teaching. Sometimes people hear that, oh, it's so depressing. Oh, suffering. Oh. I don't want to suffer anymore. Great, this is for you, right? Because as soon as you realize that there is suffering, what's the next question? What's the way out? This is the Buddha said, there's a way out. You know, there's a source for the suffering. We must recognize what is the source of suffering. If you suffer, you don't know that there's a source to suffering, then you just roil in misery, running from it. But the Buddha's teaching, suffering is. There is a cause for this suffering. There's a way out of the suffering. And this is the path. This is the technique. Here it is. These are the beginning of the teaching of the Buddha. When you see the statue of the Buddha with uh, one hand in the center and one finger, so one hand with fingers touching the ground, the, what this is is the Buddha coming out of the misery in this moment of what we call the moment of realization, opening his eyes and saying, may this earth be my witness. I have seen the way out of the suffering. Then we have the Buddha being called what's called the enlightened one and the tree that he has sat under being called the Bodhi tree, the Bodhi tree, right? So him being called the Buddha, having the seed of Buddhi wisdom and him being the awakened one. Uh, and this is, a, this is the path we're on. Let me be clear. I am on the path, all right? So don't be, oh, Kino, she's awakened one. Absolutely not. I'm on the path. I have lots of suffering in my mind, also in my body, in my emotions, emotional storms come. Just the other night, I could not sleep because of some emotional storm that arose. I woke up with so much of misery. I tried to sit and make the misery go away. And finally, I, uh, I have hatched a plan to uh, try to take an Advil. <laughs> Except, it's so dumb, I, I don't actually have any Advil, but Tim, he sometimes has these like uh, pain pills. So I, I have gone in the middle of the night and opened the drawer and tried to search my husband's Advil. And I have found some little container and I've taken these pills and went back to bed. Ah, wonderful. I've taken Advil. Now I will rest. I have killed the suffering. Next morning, but I, next morning I woke up and I thought, I did not I don't think I took Advil. And then I looked at because and I looked at the container and it's, it was in Danish, first of all. And I'm reading this in Danish and I'm like, eh, I don't know. Like, I think maybe I'm not really sure what it is. And then I asked Tim, Tim, you have a Danish Advil in your, uh, you know, bathroom drawer? He said, no. 
you don't have Danish Advil? Why do I have Danish Advil? I haven't been to Denmark in, this, this, so, in so long because of this COVID situation. Oh, what kind of Danish pills do you have in there? Just show me the bottle. He's like, I don't know what I have in there. I'm going to show him the bottle. Oh, Kino, you took salt pills. I took salt pills? Why do you have Danish salt pills in your bathroom? First of all, like that's a whole other question. Why do we have pills of salt? in the bathroom. Now I have taken pills of salt in the middle of the night. So this is <laughs> definitely, I'm not enlightened. <laughs> you know, if there is any proof you need, <laughs> this is it right there. Even I don't know when I'm taking Advil or salt pills. So now I'm taking salt pills. So now I'm very salty. I don't know. This is ridiculous. So finally I said, Tim, why are you taking salt pills? Oh, sometimes I get cramps. So then the salt pills, because he sweats a lot, help with the cramps. I also think something called water helps a lot with the cramps. Um, but, you know, you can't always, what they say, force the horse to drink. <laughs> you can deliver the water. So I tell you one funny joke about, the, about that, and then, um, and then uh, we can take any questions that have arisen. So, again, I'm a big fan of water. Um, so that's, uh, there are two funny things. So first funny thing I'd say about Tim, and then funny thing I'll say about myself. So... Uh, like I said, Tim's uh, a Chinese sign is the horse. So, and also they say that you can take the horse to the water, but you cannot make a drink. It's very difficult to make my husband drink water. So, uh, I, sometimes I ask Tim, did you have any water today? He looks at me, who? I had some coffee. <laughs> then I bring him a glass of water and then occasionally he drinks it, maybe half of it. And uh, I asked him, uh, you know, uh, on a, Percentage-wise, you drink water on your own, and I bring you water. What's the percentage? You know, I'm, I'm thinking what I thought he would say was not what he said. I thought he would say maybe, you know, I don't know, 50-50 in a bad scenario. He, he said to me, 90-10. 10%, he drinks the water by himself. 90%, I'm bringing him the water. And I'm like, oh, I can't be responsible for your water. I don't bring him that much water. And I thought, what? You know, what's going on with you? <laughs> and, then, and then a friend of mine who actually uh, has the same scenario, he doesn't drink that water. And then he said, uh, he said I'm a camel. <laughs> don't take the asanas literally. You can do the camel pose, but don't become a camel. Try to drink water. Okay. <clears throat> now, the funny thing about me, I drink so much water. Like, I actually, I'm a big fan of drinking water. I, oh, I want to really hydrate. It's so good for me. I drink a lot of water. You see, I bring like all kinds of contraptions to drink all the time. I'm drinking, drinking, drinking. Then I go into the meditation retreat and then I'm thinking, oh, this is a super time to get really hydrated. I make a big hydration. Then I go in and I sit and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> I have to go to the bathroom because I'm drinking, 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 drinking. And now I must take, we must sit for one hour. The bladder is exploding, exploding, exploding. <laughs> so I have had to train when I could, um, you know, drink lots of water and when I could not drink lots of water. But almost every time in meditation retreat at the end of any of the sits, I'd like jump up because I have to run to the bathroom <laughs> and I haven't created enough space between the feeling of the bladder bursting and, um, you know, equanimity. So, you know, you got to find the happy balance, right? Good. So are there any practical questions about the technique? Anything that arose or anything you want to just talk about that you'd like to get clarity on? Mm -hmm. So, um I, I think I'm fine 
Very good question. So you want the majority of your practice to be in Anapana. And then you want to have a small reserve at the end for metta. So if, and what I recommend to everyone is if you sit five minutes, just do the entire five minutes Anapana. It's too short. And then when you're getting up and putting your stuff away, you can do a little bit of just general metta. Um, but if you manage to sit for 30 minutes, I would do 25 minutes of Anapana and then five minutes of metta and let that be the complete practice. And like that, you can increase. And by the time we get to one hour, you can do 50, 55 minutes and then five to 10 minutes of metta, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, the interesting thing with metta is that, and even Anapana, but any of the meditation techniques, you can, you can continue to practice them when you're not sitting. So sometimes when, you know, if you are finding you have a long drive somewhere and you want to train your mind, you can practice the meditation techniques. You don't need to only be sitting to deploy the meditation techniques. That's important. It's very useful. So the uh, meditation teacher, Sharon Salzberg, how many of you have heard Sharon Salzberg? You've heard her? She's a great teacher. Wonderful books, wonderful teacher. And she has this uh, thing that she does where she says every time she travels anywhere, she just practices metta the whole time she's traveling. So she's in the airport and going here, going there, and there's just all these people. And she's just there sending metta, sending metta, sending metta. And then it sounds like really noble at first. And then she's, she's kind of really funny, dry uh, kind of sense of humor. And then she says, well, what's the alternative? You know, just going around hating everyone? <laughs> Which is kind of great, you know? It's kind of great, humble admission of, well, if I'm not practicing metta, then you should see what's going on up there. <laughs> Which is kind of unfortunate and sad, but true. Are there any questions coming from here? Let me see. I'm going to pop in real quick. I think I saw something. Oh, I have like a puppy that needs to come. Let's see. Hi, everyone. Let's see if there are any. Oh, goodness. It was a very long question. Okay, let me read it for everyone. Okay, so Guru says, congratulations with the yoga garage. Yay, I have a question. I have, I have, I don't know what that is. I've had rhinitis. I'm not sure what that is. For a long time, is that the... Is that the, and he said, I'm under medical supervision, so I've dared not to do inverted yoga, and I'm afraid that this would get worse and move into the sinuses. So I wonder if I can do inverted yoga with upper respiratory system symptoms. And I, okay, don't want to do the handstand challenge. First of all, I don't know anything about that, but you have to ask your doctor. So this is... Something really interesting is that anytime we have a medical condition of some type, it's super important that we are willing to just adjust and modify the practice. And you really have to ask your doctor's permission to something like this. Um, it sounds like I probably need to, I'm really unfamiliar with what that is, but if the doctor is saying that, you know, there's a chance that the infection can spread from one to another if you turn yourself upside down, just let that go until the infection is completely better. Um, but maybe I can look up what that medical condition specifically is. There's an interesting story about um, glaucoma. So for those of you who don't know, glaucoma is the one medical condition where inversions are seriously contraindicated because they found that the pressure on the eyeball can uh, increase the uh, effects of glaucoma, right? So it can, and it can make it accelerate it even. 
So uh, we have a, a friend of ours um, who has uh, glaucoma and was advised, you know, don't do inversions. So she told Patabi Joyce, look, I can't do inversions, no inversions, no inversions, no inversions, no inversions glaucoma, 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 you know, and so he was like, okay, no inversions. So she was modifying shoulder stand sequence. She would not do headstand. She put no pressure on the head. She could do five breaths, like in Pinchamayurasana, but that was it. So then the idea for her was that um, she could uh, do inversions basically never, right? Except one day, uh, you know, Fatabi Joyce looked at her and said, today you take headstand. And she was like, no, remember? I have glaucoma. I cannot do headstand, remember? And he just would not let her go. Today you take headstand. Today you take headstand. Today you get, you do, you take it. You take headstand, hand down. You go up, all this kind of stuff. And she thought, oh my God, I'm going to do headstand. I'm going to go blind. This is horrible, horrible. But then she thought in her mind, you know, I have an appointment with the eye doctor later. How bad can one headstand be? I definitely can't go blind in one instance. So I'll do it today. I'll go to the eye doctor. I make my eye doctor write a note to the, to him saying never again, that's that and the other. So then as she did it, she went down, she said, oh, this is terrible, she said, oh, I'm not blind, went to the eye doctor, and the eye doctor took the measurement of the pressure in her eyes and said to her, oh, you've had a big change in the pressure of your condition and your glaucoma is actually getting better. I think uh, we can probably let you start doing inversions. <laughs> yeah, and then she was like, okay. So how often do I need to get checked to make sure it's okay? He wanted her on regular checkups, but it was like one of these rare, like weird, like coincidences. And that was actually, honestly, a lot of my experience practicing yoga with Batabi Joyce and Mysore, where there were these like instances where you would think, you know, it's absolutely, there's no way I can do this. You would do it. You would think it's completely wrong. And then find out like in a situation like this. I, I had a situation where my sacroiliac joints uh, used to slide in and out very, very frequently, creating a lot of pain in my body. And usually not from yoga. I would just like walk in a weird way. And then I would be like, ooh, that's weird. Like who knew that walking was so hazardous, you know? And I, I had this one situation where, of course, it's, you know, it's the body and mind are related and the physical and the emotional are closely related. So um, I had this one time when this situation in the sacroiliac joint was very intensively out of alignment and I was in Mysore in India for six months and it was just very, very, very painful. I was walking around with you know, just a lot of pain and um, what ended up, uh, I was doing backbends and backbends started to become painful and then we do these assisted backbends and, you know, Patabi Joyce was helping me put me back on my head. Normally he would hold my pelvis, like help me up because, you know, you're on your head in a really weird position. We don't do that to you because it's really quite intensive. All the way back, hands are here and it was on my head. Then normally he's holding me up. But this day he started pushing down on my iliac crests. And I, at first I was like, I almost started to cry. I was like, I'm already in pain. Why is he pushing on me? Like, ugh. And then I'm like, look, you better just push back up because it doesn't look like he's stopping. So then I decided to push into my legs and I firmed my pelvic floor and I pushed up into my pelvis and I held the posture. And they picked me back up and we just did the regular back bend. And then like, I didn't notice any change, but I was a little confused. Strangely enough, later in the day, I was lying on the bed and then my sacrum shifted back into place on its own. I mean, I don't, I can't, you know, of course, like, correlation is not causation scientifically, but he never did that again, ever, in the whole time I practiced with him. And he did that on that day 
So it was, um, for me, it was magical. You know, I think my friend's headstand experience was also something magical. It was like, wow, that's magical. You know, is it an intuition? Is it like a, is it an angel that comes in for a moment and like occupies his body and then leaves? You know, we don't know. You know what I mean? Who knows? But he didn't even know. He's like, I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm just doing this. Who knows? You know, I just feel like I want to do this today. I don't know. You know? So, so again, the important thing to think about again is that we are here on this path together. We are here as teachers and students. And the idea is that there's a complement between the experience of teach, learn and learn, teach. And the idea is that this is a dichotomy that is both a benefit for the teacher and both a benefit for the student. So we understand that the teachers we have, although there are not many of them, I mean, I haven't met any, including Patabi Joyce, who was an enlightened master, but we have to understand that these are beings who've come before us, who've walked many more steps on the path than we have. And for that, we always have some idea of gratitude, of humility, even if we wake up and see their imperfections one day, even if we wake up and see, oh, here's their humanity. Oh, here's the places where this teacher is not enlightened. Okay, that doesn't mean that we have to disrespect the work that they put in so that we could take benefit of the practice. And that's super important because, you know, we can go back and pick apart anyone by, at any time. You can do that. We're all human beings. We're all imperfect, flawed creatures, you know, making mistakes here or there. So we understand, again, the idea to cultivate this, this deep appreciation for the, the teaching and also appreciation for the vehicles through which we receive the teaching. Um, uh, a friend of mine recently posted and, and shared something about the idea that the, that the teaching is the spoon, the teacher is like a spoon that is delivering the soup, right? So ideally you have a nice good spoon but what you're really tasting is the soup, right? If you start tasting the spoon, something is wrong with the spoon. You want to get a new spoon, you know, something, <laughs> you know, if it starts to disintegrate in your mouth and all you can think of is how bad the spoon is and this sort of thing, even a very imperfect spoon can deliver a very yummy soup, you know? Have you ever get takeout? This is what you do. You know, you have this thing and you sit there and you deliver some soup into your body. So the idea with the teaching is very, very similar. We put our emphasis on the teaching we have received and whatever spoon, whatever vehicle uh, has, has come to deliver that to us, we try to be thankful for it. Because if we didn't have that vehicle, we couldn't receive the teaching. You know, however imperfect it was, we can improve upon it. You know, many improvements are there. Also in, in takeout spoons, we can make lots of improvements, you know. We can make them 100% uh, biodegradable, for example. One update could be made. Just a small one, you know. Or you can carry your own spoon around if you want to control the spoon environment. But you cannot carry lots of teachers in your pocket. <laughs> so that only works for the spoon and the soup. For the, the teachers that are available, we have to be grateful, you know, for whatever spoons are there. Mm -hmm. Good. Any other questions from everyone who's here? More practical questions? Bless you. Are you all doing your five minutes of sitting? Yes? And you're like, oh. <laughs> good. Okay, good. I'm going to let you out a little bit early then. And uh, we're going to uh, wrap up for today. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone at home. Super good. I really appreciate the sitting. We've got one more sitting together, I think, on the new moon day. So this was a full moon. I also say it's a full moon. So bear in mind, today's a full moon. Right? Just bear that in mind. Lots of things can go crazy on the full moon. So just bear that in mind. Crazy things are happening. What do you do? Remain equanimous and observe. Oh, look. 
this a crazy thing is happening. That crazy thing is happening. Oh, look, this crazy thing is happening. That crazy thing is happening. Try not to get involved in the crazy. Sometimes you yourself are the crazy. I don't know if you've ever <laughs> noticed that, but like, you know, and you are someone else's crazy and they should try to ignore you. And so you may observe, oh, I am the crazy. I am the crazy. I am the crazy. That's okay too. Right? <laughs> Good. I think we have some treats for you downstairs. So go and see. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Thank you, everyone. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS. And that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit, which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.